is going on everybody welcome into another edition of the daily energy news beat stand up here on this gorgeous tuesday october 24th 2023 as always i'm your humble correspondent michael tanner coming to you from an undisclosed location here in dallas texas joined by the executive producer of the show the purveyor of the show and the director and publisher of the world's greatest website energynewsbeat.com Stuart turley my man how we doing today it's a beautiful day in the neighborhood. I mean, it is action packed. Action packed. We've got a lot of climate stuff going on. Chevron decides to buy Hess. We will cover all of that in a bag of chips here coming up. First up on the menu in energy. I don't know what this is, but they're a five gigawatt grain belt transmission line project that faces continued opposition due to FERC. Next up, delaying the energy transition. DER microgrid developers forced to wait. For uh, Transformers interconnections and clarification from the Fed. Next up, the embargo at 50 regulatory casually versus the anti-oil narrative. Great article um, that Stu will dive into specifically what um, the parallels to 1973. And then finally, we'll fly over into the into Europe. Dutch energy minister admits that wind power agenda is pricier than anticipated in a move. Um, only EMB listeners saw coming. So uh, uh, you, 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 we saw that one come from a mile away here. Stu will then toss it over to me. I'll quickly cover what happened in the overall finance markets today. Overall markets fairly flat. We did see oil drop a little bit, but then the talk of the town obviously is Chevron's $53 billion all-stock deal to buy Hest. We will dive into kind of the implications all around that and and and, and opine maybe about what's next because I think this solely sets their sights. Uh, Shell and Conoco, you're up next, folks. But before we do all of that, guys, as always, the stories and analysis you're about to hear is brought to you by the world's greatest website, www.energynewsbeat.com, the best place for all of your energy news. Stu and the team do a great job of curating that site, making sure it stays up to speed on everything when it comes to the oil and gas business, um, you can email the show questions at energynewsbeat.com. Hit the description below. Um, you can also interact with the show that way. Uh, see all the different details and uh, we keep you up to speed in that description below. Dashboard.energynewsbeat.com, the best place for all of your oil, for all of your data news combo. Get that while you still can. Never know where it might go. I'm going to breath those two. Where do you want to begin? Well, I tell you what, let's start with a grain belt. And this is not the China's uh, Belt and Road Initiative. This one is Enver Energy's five gigawatt grain belt transmission faces continued opposition at the Federal uh, Regulatory Commission. Uh, I'll tell you, uh, Federal Energy Regulatory Commission. Michael, uh, it took three point some odd billion dollars to get the transmission lines from West Texas to East Texas uh, in order to bring all them wind farms online. Mm-hmm. Took years. This is $7 billion. They think that they can bring it online. Oh, let me look at the date. Unbelievable. 800 miles of delivering wind power from Western Kansas as far west, east as Illinois. Here's the group. It's not an auspicious beginning to uh, for an application to negotiate and be reasonable rates using a fair and impartial impartial process. Michael, here's the problem. There is wind farm after wind farm after wind farm and grid after grid mm-hmm. is trying to raise their rates 
everyone knows that you can't negotiate a price for electricity because costs go up. Uh, you have to almost re reallocate or re forecast every year. Yes. And uh, not only as we're going to talk about in the next one, in the energy transition, there's a shortage of materials to build a grid that long, an 800 mile long line. Holy smokes. Yeah. It, it says the grain belt said it expects to transfer the remainder of phase one capacity to buyers and or leases via sales and leases of undivided interest in the transmission line, which will require separate FERC approval. What do we know about approvals on processes? <laughs> <laughs> You're going to be there a while. Yeah. So delayed consideration of this filing could adversely impact the project's anticipated financial close and construction timeline. Michael, this reminds me of the California high-speed rail that has been $15 billion and it needs another 75 to complete and they've not done anything on it. <laughs> Sounds like a money pit to me. Sounds like a project I'd like to be involved with. Oh, yeah. We, money we pit were, where I'm at the other end of a check. Oh, yeah. We got to go do that. Here's Kidding. the next right, story, what's Michael. Next? Uh, next story, delaying the energy transition, uh, DER microgrid developers forced to wait for transformers, interconnection, and the IRA uh, classification. The dreaded in Inflation Reduction Act. This has got several pieces to this story, Michael. Number one is that there ain't no parts. I believe we just talked about that in the last one. Uh, I've seen, this is a quote from uh, Workforce uh, Development and Education. I've seen reports that interconnection can take many, many years, said Woody Hastings, program manager for the Climate Center. Beyond a couple of months, people want these things interconnected when they're ready to be connected. It's ludicrous to talk about a year to 10-year wait. There's two California bills that just Governor Newsom uh, signed in, and these only had one or two paragraphs in them, like we've seen before in other bills. Mm -hmm. They sign it, and then next yep. year, they put in the language. That is absolutely amazing. Uh, they only put in the the top things. So uh, we're going to reach our climate goals in California. We need the distribution system operation that ex uh, expedites interconnection. All right. Now, yeah. when we come in here, the DOE, there's a uh, Department of Energy plan mm -hmm. could exacerbate transformer shortages. <laughs> You can't buy this kind of fun in this article and the IRA uncertainty and what our government is doing to slow down all energy. It's not just renewable. It's everything. It's, it's, um, it's truly legislation through regulation. And what's hilarious is that it's happening in our favorite state by our favorite governor, Gavin Newsom in California, where they theoretically want all the clean energy. So it's as you would say, energy hypocrisy at its finest. You're going to love the next one. You ready? Our constant theme. You can see our theme. I mean, this is a great theme. Let's go to the next one, Michael. The embargo at 50, regulatory cas uh, casualty uh, mm. versus 
anti-oil narrative. Here it is. The terms oil embargo and energy crisis have been burned in many people's memory. Believe me, I remember them lines. You're too young. But guess what? They may be back. <laughs> the embargo was in 1973. OPEC did a 5% production cut, and then they uh, had an oil embargo against the U.S., Considering our current administration, they have peed in everybody's Cheerios around the world. They may get this done again. So, Michael, in an energy uh, crisis, we are approaching an energy crisis of biblical uh, proportions because of the other articles that we just talked about, the management, the printing of money. Uh, We're now seeing pushback around the world about people not putting up with this anymore. So when they, the bottom line of this article, the subtle point, energy crises are not inherent to the natural workings of markets. They are governmental and thus preventable. Embargo in energy crisis would be far less known to history today if the free market had been in place in the 70s. And this is a lesson for today and tomorrow. Unbelievable, great line. And I mean, that is exactly what it is. And the free market is not there in energy because of the printing of money, forcing people to go to EVs and forcing people to go to renewable energy. Yeah, I think that last paragraph that you read sums it up great. (laughs) The fact that when government gets involved and attempts to alter the path of the free market, we generally end up at suboptimal outcomes. Just the truth. Uh, It is, Michael. Let's go to the next one. And I think you kind of hit on the theme of today. Dutch energy minister admits that wind power agenda is pricier than anticipated. (laughs) Of course. Of course. Okay, let me give you a couple bullets. Rob Jensen, he is the Dutch minister of energy, admits that wind power is facing serious financial headwinds. People are expecting their money back and and regulatory agencies are not increasing uh, energy because consumers can't pay anymore. Consumers should expect substantially higher electricity prices than initially anticipated. <laughs> uh, the increased costs are not primarily linked to global market developments, but rather the extra 10 billion uh, euros in order to connect offshore wind farms at sea to onshore infrastructure. I'm shocked, Michael. Are you shocked that it costs that much to put in a grid? Absolutely. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I mean, what's funny is companies that went all in on offshore wind, in my opinion, are going to see the same type of outcome that companies that went all in on shale oil and gas production in, in the early 2010s. You know, how many of those companies survived out of there? I mean, you think about you, you know, we could name a list of 20 EMP companies that drilled their way to bankruptcy. (laughs) And in this case, these companies decided to spin up wind farms into bankruptcy. Now, if in a tax, in a tax haven or somewhere where taxes are convenient, sure, you can dump a lot of money into unprofitable capex and still makes your money. But the gravy train ones out assume. The Dutch seem to be taking it right now. Absolutely. Let me get you to this one little part here. Dutch offshore wind projects are now joining the global 
sector in facing negative financial news. Several major offshore wind producers, including Vettenfall in Sweden and Orsted in Denmark, have encountered financial difficulties primarily related to higher cost interest rate uh, issues, PPA constraints, or commercial factors making projects fiscally unfeasible. That is not renewable energy when it's not fiscally capable. <laughs> sounds like sounds like for the 4 EV program. I was confused which uh, who they were talking about in that one. Yeah. And, and so what I think we're seeing is the great awakening that I talked about yep. last year. And it is now here. What? I was just saying, rise up the great awakening. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. There you go. Raise I thought roof. you were talking about how good I am and intelligent. No, uh, no, that's just for you. And that's just for you and Sparky to go back and forth on. I'll stay out of that one. Um, what's nice. you got anything else? No, but I think we had a great common thread. Today. Yeah, no, great show in the news segment. We'll quickly cover, I mean, finance segment, guys, S&P 500 down about a quarter of a percentage point. NASDAQ up about three tenths of a percentage point. Crude oil sitting there about 8601. That's actually down about two percentage points. Brent oil tumbles about the same percentage point. Nat gas, $2.91. I mean, again, we're back in oil price being controlled by geopolitical news um, today. If it was off the fact that we had multiple humanitarian escalations in terms of the diplomatic efforts going on in the Middle East right now seem to intensify, leading to that price decrease a little bit. Remember, you're probably looking about somewhere between five to 10 barrels of, of this oil price is currently geopolitical. So as things become more, you know, as, as we step closer or farther away from World War III, so will oil prices go. Use that specifically as a benchmark. The big news in the oil and gas space today, Chevron decides to get in and follow Exxon, making a huge all-stock purchase of Hess Corporation, $53 billion in stock and assuming um, about another six, six and a half for about a total of debt for a total of about $60 billion. Um, again, it's all, it is an all-stock deal. You know, this kind of came as a shock specifically because Hess's largest asset the Guyana field is one where Chevron is the operator. So Chevron double dips basically tells me two things. One, they're not as bullish on the Permian as ExxonMobil is, or there was a bidding war for Pioneer. We'll never know that. Maybe somebody in, involved in the conversations will know, but either there was a bidding war over Pioneer for the last great Permian Basin resources, or Chevron made a strategic decision and said, we're going to double down on Guyana, which we know very well, and we're going to double down on the Bakken. I think this is something right. to be left out. Hess is the one of the larger operators when it comes to the Bakken. We haven't heard many deals up there in North Dakota happen. That's right. A lot of smaller M&A deals. I think the unsung play for Chevron is they looked at the Bakken versus they looked at the Bakken plus Guyana and said we would prefer that over the Permian. That or they didn't want to get involved with Pioneer or they never even talked to Pioneer. But my guess is there was a strategic decision that happened from Chevron that said, we're going to go take double down on what we know. And I mean, for Chevron getting into the Bakken, interesting. What it tells me, Stu, is they this wasn't a GNA led venture. They weren't coming in here thinking synergies is going to help them out. And if you ever no. seen a merger and acquisitions, you see the word synergies, think layoffs. Didn't see you, the word synergies around here. The only no. reason, you know, the Guyana, yes, there's synergies, but that's just picking up an extra operator percentage. Hess is not actually having boots on the ground there. The fact that they're taking over their Bakken assets means probably most of that Hess team is going to stay around. Top two deals, though, speaking of this Pioneer and, and Hess deal, the real question now, Stu, is one, what do you think of the deal? Second, who's next? 
I like the deal. And more importantly, I like the deal for Guyana. Guyana is incredibly important for nat gas and exported capabilities of LNG. LNG with all these uh, contracts around are uh, here to stay. And LNG for Africa in that area is the import facilities. It is a long-term play, and that's going to put them right at the top of the pile. Sevron CEO Michael Worth, here was his comment on the deal. We've got too many CEOs per barrels of oil. Expect <laughs> to see. I mean, oh. He's not wrong. He's not no. wrong. I think we also have to remember who are these two, you know, John Hess, CEO of Hess, cashing out a lot older. Scott Sheffield, pioneer, retiring at the end of the year, looking to right. cash out. These, I think, you know, hindsight being 2020, these are probably the two targets in which we should have thought of all along in order because they had motivated management. The real question is who next? I don't think Oxy's on the table. I think they're going to stay out of it. I think it'd be really interesting to see what EOG does. Do they allow themselves to merge and find an, you know, an equal among them? Do they go ahead and gobble up some of these smaller Permian right. players? I think now what you're going to see is the scraps left in the Permian begin to get consolidated up. But guys, you can check it all out again. Energynewsbeat.com for all of your breaking let me, oil let me and ask gas this. news. Uh, in the Marcellus, instead of the Permian, do you see things like EQT and CNX and others piling into this? I don't know because the, the the economics of natural gas right now, I don't think don't favor M&A. And That's I what I was thinking. If you're yeah, EQT, right. you probably have enough scale to where you're more worried about optimizing your own assets versus trying to go out and make some, you know, deal. I mean, you know, your buddy over at CNX, you call him up. See, I, I would think they, you know, in that area, in CNX, EQT space, they stay pat, but you, you never know. And and it'll be interesting to see, but you'll have to hit up your contacts over there. Oh, you bet. I just thought I'd ask. No, but uh, anything else, Stu? What should we be worried about this week? Oh, just buckle up. It's going to be a wild and crazy week. As we inch closer to World War III, we'll keep the show going for as long as until I get drafted. So, you know, hopefully, hopefully we'll see. Uh, and you call, and not, you call me the no, pessimist. which scares me. You call me the pessimist. Holy smokes. You just, <laughs> you, wow. You just took, you went right through that barrier. Here's Michael Tanner running through that brick wall, kind of like the Kool-Aid man. Yeah. <laughs> That's me. <laughs> That's me. So, all right, guys, with that, we'll let you get out of here. Um, get back to work. Thank you for checking us out on this gorgeous Tuesday, October 24th. For Stuart Turley, I'm Michael Tanner. We'll see you tomorrow, folks.